0: This morning's reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events.
1: Good morning, and would you come back with me please to Acts chapter 5. And you have to pity the church welcome team on this day, right? Having to clear away two dead bodies. You know, we didn't sign up for this. Well, joking aside, in fact, this uh, account of Ananias and Sapphira is one of the most disturbing texts in the New Testament. And of course, through it, God wants to say something to us. So let's ask him to do that. Father, this is the prayer of our hearts. We need your voice to rebuke us and challenge us to encourage us and spur us on to live for you. So for Jesus' sake, please speak. Amen. Every so often, there is a national campaign to try to get people back to church, you know, like back to church Sunday. Uh, So now take a look at uh, chapter 5, verse 12. So after our passage, the apostles perform many signs and wonders among the people. So how about this? Come to our church, we have signs, wonders, miracles, and anyone who tells a lie drops dead in the middle of a service. Um, well I, I have been thinking about, about coming, but now, no, I mean I do sometimes tell, uh, I'm not going to run the risk. Uh, is it still the same online? We read even the church itself was afraid with what was going on amongst them. They come to our church, signs, wonders, miracles. Yeah, but verse 13, no one else dared join them. And that's qualified by the next verse. But you would think twice before joining this church. There's clearly something extraordinary about this group of people. But it's not a membership you just dibble in and out of, like the gym. Now, the author of this history account is Luke, and he's told us why he's written it. It's so that we would have confidence. Confidence that the good news of Jesus is true, that his kingdom will grow. Meaning more and more people will turn and live for King Jesus and and form churches. And that is unstoppable. It'll happen, despite opposition and despite corruption. But Luke includes today's disturbing passage to say to us loud and clear, the quality of God's people matters just as much as the quantity. God is deeply concerned that church communities are communities of integrity. Don't take God lightly. There are so many people today, even in churches, who think, God really just loves everybody. It really doesn't matter what you do. And yet here in the face of a church scandal, God steps in and says, the church is mine, I govern my church. My people must be people of honesty and integrity. And those amongst the church who try to live a double life will be found out and dealt with. That's not an easy message, but it is important. Let's start then by asking, what is their crime? Luke wants us to understand. Ananias and Sapphira being struck down was a work of God's judgment. So what did they do wrong? Let's go back to verse 34 of the previous chapter. And to read about the church. There was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Okay, now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. But there's a big difference. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. So, imagine the scene, and uh, the church is together, and Ananias comes forward with this bag of money, saying, as we promised, here's all the money from the field. We want to give it all to God. But he's lying. Somehow, Peter knows it's a lie, but more importantly, God knows. Verse 3. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? How could you? You haven't lied just to human beings, but to God. Peter's clear. They were quite free to keep the land. Or free to put any or none of the money from the sale at the church's disposal. But what they did was lay the portion down as if it were the whole amount. Their crime is that they lied. But now why did they lie? But let's imagine the back story. As wealthier Christians help out needier Christians in the church, and as the church celebrates that, this man and wife team see a chance to boost their own reputation. And you know, they say, oh, we'll sell a field too and we'll give all the money to the church. And so they make the sale and then they're at home with this big bag of gold in front of them. And Ananias goes, it's quite a lot of money. How about we don't give it all to the church like we said we would. And Sapphira says, okay, yeah, but we still want to look godly. I mean, everyone was impressed with Barnabas, right? Right, so, so let's give some of it. But say it's the whole lot. I mean, They'll still be impressed with us. Well, good plan. No one will ever know. Yeah, and besides, maybe God won't notice. Or at least won't mind. I mean, after all, we're still getting something, right? It's a reminder to you and I, by the way, uh, we're fools if we don't think that money has a pull on us. It always does. Even if we've been Christian f- Christians for years, even if we give plenty of money away, money always has a put on us. Anyway, with their m- mouths... They were claiming to be godly, giving everything to God. But they wanted a reputation for godliness. In their hearts, they weren't actually godly. In that they didn't love God. They didn't love God's people. No, they loved money and approval. That's that's why they lied. Peter says, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit? And the Bible says Satan, or the devil, is a mysterious and, and yet very real spiritual agency. And Ananias and Sapphira allowed Satan to fill their hearts with ungodliness. And and, and, and they put on a show before the church, but, but God knows. They lied, and you see, because it was a lie to the church, and, and the church belongs to God, it's a lie to God. It's a lie to God, the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, how is it that say?" sorry, uh, Peter tells Ananias, at the end of verse 4, you haven't Lied just to human beings, but to God. That must have been a heart-stopping moment. And we're not told how Ananias responded, but God's response could hardly be stronger. Verse 5. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Like I say, a heart-stopping moment. Great fear seized all who heard what had happened. He bet it did. And I wonder if if you're feeling a bit of that fear now. Verse 6. And some young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. Then about three hours later, the, the same thing basically happened. His wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. But that is a lie. their crime is, is, is that they lied. They, 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 they wanted to put a mask on, pretend some, to be something they weren't. Here's a mask I sometimes wear when I'm being Captain Awesomeness and Charlie is uh, cutlery boy. There we go. mug to go with it. It's a Father's Day present. But it's just a the mask. There's no reality in this. Well, Ananias and Sapphira, that's their crime. They They lied, ultimately, to God. The second question is, why does God react so strongly? His reaction is sudden, severe, extreme, and yet we instinctively feel that the crime isn't that bad. I mean, we've all heard stories of imposters, and sometimes they're quite amusing. Like the story of a young engineer called Matthew Richardson. He shared the same name as a professor of economics in the U.S., And the engineer, Richardson, was mistakenly invited to give a series of lectures on the economics in China. He accepted the invitation. So he read up on basic economics and went and gave the lectures. Brilliant. Here in, in Acts, Ananias and Sapphira pretend to be what they're not. God's response is to strike them dead. Does that seem excessive? And true, they shouldn't have lied. But they must have given a decent amount to the church. And we can think of worse sins, can't we? If that's what we think, we need to think again. You see, it's true that God is loving, but God is also holy. And he requires his people to be holy. He's supremely pure. Now, I wonder if, if many of us have divorced God's love from his holiness and put his holiness out of sight. You know, think of the kinds of Bible verses or Thoughts or whatever we we, we might share on social media or or message to each other. You know, they don't often mention holiness, sin or judgment. It would be awkward to do that, right? We, we, We want the verses that make us feel cuddly. Perhaps many of us believe that just as humanity is evolving, you know, we're learning new skills, developing new tools, and technology is moving forward and so on. Well, so too God has evolved. From the wrathful God of the Old Testament, who rained down plagues upon his enemy, to the jolly old Santa Claus God of the New Testament, who, who forgives everybody, no matter what, who says we can basically live how we want, and who exists mainly to iron out all our difficulties, give us whatever we feel we need. But that is not what God has revealed himself to be. It's not what many want him to be, it's the God many pray to, but God has revealed to us in the Bible something quite different. He has revealed that he is always both loving and just, merciful and righteous, holy. Today, amongst other things, our God is blazingly holy. So if you are feeling a bit of a fear that these people felt, you're in good company. But I don't just mean you're in the company of the exact five people, but the company of God. A holy God. You and I right now are in the company of a blazingly good and holy God. And this God made you and I, and he made us to be holy, so before him, all our unholiness is an offence. In fact, from the beginning of time, God established that the penalty for all unholiness is death. Well, we, we all sin, we're all unholy at times, if not. All the time so all of us deserve to die. Now amazingly yes in His mercy God sent Jesus into our world to pay the penalty for our sin by dying in our place. Amazingly then we can escape God's wrath against our sin, have eternal life through him and forgiveness for all of our sins. But Acts 5 shows that sin is still serious. Yours, mine. In God's church, holiness Still matters. Striving for holiness ought to be a, a preoccupation for God's forgiven people. Now I wonder if the kind of sin seen in Acts five is, it particularly provokes God. Ananias and Sapphira make themselves see, they make themselves out to be godly, to, to, to be people of God, generous benefactors, concerned for the for the needs of, of God's people. But in fact, they're liars and hypocrites. Concerns simply for their own egos and reputations and bank balances. Now, we don't like hypocrisy. You know, the government ministers who flout their own social distancing rules. Well, this week, you might know that well the bad boy of, of tennis is, is, is a man called Nick Kyrgios. He's always you know, getting into trouble on, on and off the court. But after this week, Novak Djokovic and others were found to have coronavirus, uh, Kyrgios uh, tweeted a, a, a video of a party which led to this massive contagion of coronavirus and tennis players. Um, Djokovic was at the party and uh, he included this message. Prayers up to all the, pra- to the players that have contracted COVID-19. But Don't tag me for anything I've done for that it's been irresponsible or classified as stupidity. This takes the cake. Uh, He's Australian, I guess that means takes the biscuit. No one likes hypocrisy. God hates hypocrisy, especially amongst his precious people, because it always damages his reputation, and his people. But now if that is the case, we need to ask, why doesn't God operate like this anymore? Uh, Thank God. I've heard about all sorts of extraordinary miracles, but no one has ever told me about a liar dropping dead in church. And in fact, I've found that people who want and expect signs and wonders in the church today aren't so keen on this one happening today. So why doesn't this happen today? We need to listen to what God says about all this. We all do. Chapters 1 to 15 of Acts are full of signs and wonders. That's the language that keeps getting used. The Gospels and up to Acts 15, that's the New Testament's period of of signs and wonders. And in the rest of the book of Acts, after chapter 15, you never get that language again in the book. And in the rest of the New Testament, I don't think we're anywhere given warrants for expecting that God will perform signs and wonders through or amongst his people. Which is not to say that he can't or won't, but when we listen to what he's told us in the Bible taking him seriously. We discover that, that this is a temporary period in the history of the church, this period of signs and wonders. So, uh, chapter 5, verse 12, the apostles perform many signs and wonders among the people, but, but what they're doing is not the sort of thing that, that, that ever happens today. Because just let me show you the end of that section, verse 16, crowds gathered, bringing those who were ill and tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Uh, Look, again, there are all sorts of claims to miracles taking place through Christians today, and I'm sure that some are true, and I'm sure that some are bogus, but I've never known anyone, even the man who packs out the, the Brighton Dome or whatever in his bright white shining suit and his bright white shining teeth, and says, come for healings and miracles, even that sort of character. I've never known anyone say, you know, I heal everyone without fail. This is a unique period in history of signs and wonders. Don't mishear me. I'm sure God can and does do all sorts of wonderful things today. Miracles. But in the book of Acts, signs and wonders of this degree are here to authenticate the missionary preaching of the apostles as the word of God. That's how it was with Jesus. In chapter 2 of Acts, we're told that Jesus was accredited by God to us by signs and wonders. And in chapter 14 of Acts, and elsewhere in the New Testament, we discovered God was doing the same thing for the apostles. So this period of authenticating miracles, signs and wonders, it was for them. They, they authenticate the apostles, and we can be so glad that they did. It was necessary then, when they didn't have the, old, the New Testament. And now we have a full Bible including the complete record of what we can know to be uh, from the apostles. That's then how we assess if someone's teaching or ministry is true or bogus. And the judgment then of God on Ananias and Sapphira was a sign of wonder. It had enormous impact on the church. But, but that time of sign and one, signs and wonders has passed. And I imagine now you and I say, phew. So no, this doesn't mean that every time a sin is committed, the perpetrator falls down and dies. We'd all have died long, years ago. What it does mean? Well, that this is what should happen to us. This is what we all deserve. This shows that all our sin is very serious. And in particular, everyone trying to live a double life will be found out sooner or later. So then, here are two take-homes from this passage. First, take seriously God's rule of your church. Now, broadly speaking, if you're a member of a BH, a Bishop Hannington, or Holy Cross small group, and you're viewed a member of the church. Now, on any given Sunday, we have plenty of visitors, some not yet Christians, not yet persuaded, and all are welcome. But when you commit to a church, it is not like joining the hockey club, or the PTA, or the gym. You're so joining a group of people who belong to God, whom God lives amongst, whose church it is, it's the Holy Spirit's church, his church, he sees, he hears, he, he knows all, all things about his people and he's holy and he cares for this church tremendously. Well, this church, in Acts, feared the God they belong to and so should we. Which leads secondly to this, deal seriously with your sin. We are all sinners without exception. So God says to us, if we call ourselves Christians, you are forgiven all you've done wrong in Jesus Christ. You can wonderfully come before me as children to a father. And holiness really matters. In my church, you cannot behave how you like. So deal seriously with your sin. You must fight against it. Now, where there are those um, who won't turn from their sin amongst the church, and they've been challenged, then the responsibility for discipline lies with the church leadership. We cannot just accept open and obvious, unrepentant sin in our midst. It's, it's too damaging. But no one wants it to get to that stage. Our own sin is a responsibility of self-discipline. When we see it, we need to take swift, decisive action. Be warned by what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. That's what God thinks of sin. We must do all we can to root it out, to be honest with ourselves, to face up to it. We we need to be honest with ourselves. Perhaps there are one or two listening now and you're trying to live a double life. When you're with the church, you put on a show. You're one thing with the church, but another thing the rest of the time. Well, you don't fool God. God knows those amongst his precious people who fake it amongst them. And he will ensure that you are found out sooner or later. God says that the wages of sin is death. And so if you're not in Christ, God may demand the wages of sin at any time. So please, start by being honest with yourself. Own up, maybe for the first time. And then be honest with God. Tell him you're a sinner, deserving condemnation. Accept Christ's payment for you. Do that for the church's sake, as well as for your own. Others of us have allowed ourselves to drift into sin. Maybe it's a relationship you know isn't according to God's word. I don't know, maybe you're you're yoked with an, with an unbeliever and, and, and God says, ah. or maybe it's a sinful attitude that, that you're just letting remain, or maybe a sinful pattern of behaviour that, that you haven't uh, paid attention to. Maybe it's something you're enjoying. And and maybe we're pretending to ourselves that everything is fine. And so we come to church without it really making any difference. And we carry on in the following week with the same attitude, the same relationship, the same pattern. We need to be honest with ourselves and honest with God and say, God have mercy on me. Please forgive me. We need to do that now. And if that's us or if every one of us, whoever we are, we all need help from others. Don't think that anyone in your church is sorted. There isn't a single person in the church who isn't sinful and who doesn't need help to kill sin. So, may we work at being open and honest with others. And that doesn't mean, you know, as we first meet someone, you know, um, just saying, I I think you ought to know what I'm really like. Ten them our list of greatest ever sins. But perhaps we do need to confess a particular sin to someone else, either because it involves them or just because we know we need their help. To battle against it. I've done this myself with people at Holy Cross. And I'm glad I did. We do need one another in the battle against sin. If no one knows about it. Then there's, there's no one to ask us about it. Uh, and No one to remind us. That that there's forgiveness for it. Uh, no one to encourage us on in the fight. No one to en- to pray for us. In that fight. So I wonder is there at least. One other person. You could turn to. I'd especially recommend someone. Who's in your church, but not in your household? I mean, do tell people in your household if you want, but in your church, not in your household, would would, would be a good idea as well. So, okay, how does this sound? Come to our church. We haven't got signs and wonders. If you tell a lie, you don't drop dead in the middle of a service. But we do take God seriously, we take His word seriously, we take forgiveness seriously. And we take our wrongdoing seriously, and and it's a brilliant people to be a part of. Come, join us. Well, let's um, pray now. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for the gift of life in you. We we pray that. That with this guy, with this gift, we might be people of integrity. People who don't lie to you or your people. People who live as saved sinners, striving to be obedient to you in all honesty. Lord Jesus, this is possible through the power of the gospel. Please make it so for your glory through your people. Amen.